When we gather, we read from the Gospels. I want to invite you to stand as we do that. These words are precious to us. They are the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we honor Jesus in our midst when we stand together. Now hear these words from Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for the gift above all of your presence. Lord, that you would meet with us this morning, that you are here and that you want to speak. Lord, you are speaking. Would you help us to listen? Give us ears to hear. Lord, we thank you for this teaching of Jesus and ask that you would Help us to understand it and help us to live into it. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would grab a seat. Well, again, good morning. If you are visiting with us, if this is your first time, I do want to say just welcome again. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And so for the past several weeks, we've been exploring this incredible account of Jesus' life together. Last week, uh, Jack Wisdom did a great job just introducing us to this message of the kingdom that Jesus begins to proclaim at the end of Matthew chapter 4. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that, I do want to encourage you just to go back and listen to that because I think it's really important. What Jack shared with us was this vision that God has had from the very creation um, to bring his kingdom uh, into reality. And what that means in so many ways is it's this outworking of God's love to restore all of the created order, to bring humanity back to a place where it's flourishing at peace, uh, a place of justice, a place of shalom, uh, this idea of wholeness. And that is a really important message because it gives context to what we're going to begin to talk about today in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew. And so I want to encourage you just to open up uh, a Bible. There's probably one in the seat back near you or on your phone if you can find uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be, those first uh, 12 verses. But the Matthew 5 through 7, this next section in the gospel is um, some really incredible teaching by Jesus. Some of his most famous teaching 
in fact, and it's come to be known popularly as the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be spending the next few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we get into this, it begins with these, um, these phrases here at the beginning, which may be familiar to you. Um, they're some of Jesus' most famous teaching, uh, sometimes called the Beatitudes, which comes from the Latin, means blessed or fortunate. And so we're going to focus in on these uh, beginning verses in 1 through 12 of chapter 5. Now, like so many of te- Jesus' teachings, when you look at these words right off the bat, they, they seem pretty simple. Uh, it's, it's blessed are, you know, the poor. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, simple phrases, and I think when we hear those, we're like, okay, got it, you know. Uh, but I think, too, part of it is that you know, like most of Jesus' teaching, it's simple and yet there's depth. There's incredible depth behind that. And so I think the simplicity and also the familiarity sometimes can work against us in a case like this. So with these words, they're just so familiar to so many of us, it can actually cause us to miss so much of what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying here is incredibly provocative and powerful. And so what I want to do is I want us to kind of try to hear this with some fresh ears This morning, because I think the more that we can really dive into these blessings, we'll experience so much of the depth that's behind them. Um, So, for example, I want to start with the word blessed. So, Jesus repeats this word over and over here blessed are, blessed are. And he has this whole list of people who are blessed, but he says it nine times here uh, in this section. Again, simple enough this idea of blessed. However, Let's unpack that word a little bit, blessed. So blessed, for example, in the original Greek is this word makarios. Can you say that? Makarios. Makarios. It's uh, it's actually really difficult to translate this into a single English word. Sometimes it gets translated as happy, um, but that's... That's not super helpful, I think. There's so much kind of baggage with that, and it kind of can feel a little bit on the trite side or overly sentimental. Uh, Most often, it gets translated as blessed. Uh, Blessed, because it can mean this idea of of favor. Uh, So favor from God or uh, in Greek culture of the gods or even of fate. And so the Greeks, and in fact, they would use this word really, it was reserved for people who were like extremely wealthy. Just it was obvious that they were on a whole nother level or they had, they had some aspect of their life that just seemed like they, were almost, they must be like gods, right? They must be like the pantheon of gods. They would talk about someone as being makarios. That's how they would use this phrase. And so it means kind of like that. We kind of use it in a similar way, I think, a lot of times in kind of just everyday language. Something good happens, you know, like you, you, you win the lottery, you're blessed, right? Or you have a baby, you're blessed. You get a promotion at work, you're blessed. There's this idea that something good happens, and that's a sign that you've been blessed by something. Um, And so there's that aspect that's kind of caught up in this. But there's also another piece of this that I think is helpful uh, in the Greek with makarios. And it's that it was often used as a celebratory kind of greeting for someone. So uh, in other words, if, if you encountered a friend, let's say, who had just had a baby, you're walking down the street or they just got a new job. You walk up to them and you say, makarios to them, which basically you were saying, congrats. That's awesome. Way to go. Blessed are you. Congratulations. So it had this congratulatory 
um, aspect to its meaning, which I think is really interesting because it only goes to kind of stress and highlight how strange what Jesus says after each one of these blessings really is. I mean, what Jesus basically is, is saying, he's walking up to these people and he's saying, congrats, blessed are you who are poor. Congrats, are you here today in your morning? Blessed are you. You know, it's this, it, it should cause this dissonance when we encounter this. And again, I think because it's so familiar, we can lose some of that. So this idea is that, that Jesus has put together these things that don't go together here in his inaugural teaching. And so what I want us to do is look at this list and ask, well, what is going on here? What is, in fact, this list of blessings that Jesus begins with on the Sermon of the Mount? So first, let's just start with what Jesus isn't giving us. What is this not a list of? And the first thing I would say is this is not a list of commands. This is not a list of commands. One of the mistakes I think we can make uh, easily is that we can look at these and think, oh, Jesus is just telling us to do these things. We can misread it. People have read the Beatitudes down through church history at different points this way. They've read these things as uh, commands. And so faithful, well-meaning followers of Jesus have taken this approach. And it's not to say necessarily that the thing that they've done is wrong. So taking a vow of poverty for example, is not wrong. However, if you're taking a vow of poverty because you believe here when Jesus says blessed are the poor, he's commanding us to be poor, then you've misunderstood Jesus' teaching. That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's saying. These are not commands. Jesus is not saying go and be poor. You, go and be sad. Go mourn. You know, th these are not commands. That doesn't make sense of what this list kind of gets worked out to be. So they're not commands. Second, it's not a list of life principles. This is not a list of life principles. This isn't the way life works in the world. We know that through our experiences. Do the meek inherit the earth? If you take up that principle and you think that's going to work out for you, you're going you're to be in for a rude awakening. That is not the way the world works. Maybe sometimes that happens, but the truth is, more times than not, who runs the world? Who inherits the world? The powerful, right? The proud, usually. You know, I mean, take a look at the world of politics. The halls of government are not characterized by meekness. You know, that's not just oozing from D.C. these days, meekness, right? It, it, it's, it's a place where those who have resources, wealth, education, connections, those are the kinds of things that mark people who inherit the earth, not meekness in our experience. Same thing with mercy. Do those who receive always, uh, who, who receive, are those who show mercy, do they always receive mercy? No. We know that. We know there are faithful men and women around the world right now, even this day, whose lives will be taken from them. And all they've done is be merciful. They've been following Jesus faithfully. And so you try to read it this way as this kind of like, well, this is, this is what Jesus says the way the world works. That's not the way the world works. These aren't life principles. This isn't life truths. And so it's not commands. It's not principles. And then the third one I think a lot of us kind of struggle with. I know this was the one that was the challenge for me is uh, that this is not a list of virtues. This is not a list of virtues from Jesus um, I actually grew up in, in, a, in a great church, a great tradition, but this is what I was taught, more or less, is that 
this teaching of Jesus was basically Jesus saying, if you want to be blessed, then be like this, right? Be this kind of person. Do these kinds of things. Now, part of the problem is to make that work with this whole list, you've got to work really hard to kind of contort Jesus' words here. Now, so let's just look at some examples. For example, when Jesus says um, the poor in spirit, or more specifically in Luke, his account, he says the poor. When, when you take that uh, to, to kind of make that into a virtue, what people tend to do is they're going to say, oh, what Jesus really means is blessed are those who are totally dependent on God and humble. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And so you can take these and kind of twist them. So mourn is another. People take that and they say, oh, what Jesus means, blessed are those who mourn. He means those who mourn over their sin or over the brokenness of the world. Blessed are the meek. You know, I've heard that. Maybe you've heard this. I heard this growing up. Blessed are the meek. Be meek. Be meek like Jesus because Jesus demonstrated power under control. That's what meekness means. So blessed are the meek. Now, the first challenge with reading this that way uh, is, one, Jesus doesn't say any of that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say that. Um, what does Jesus say? Well, to get there, you actually have to make his words mean something different than what they mean. For example, take poor in the spirit. Jesus chooses a very specific Greek word for poor that actually is the extreme word that you could use for poor. It means abject poverty. It's, it, it's, it's the kind of poverty people experience who live on the street, who have nothing, who are literally starving. That level of poverty. And Matthew adds in the spirit in his account of Jesus' teaching. And I think he does that to highlight what Jesus means is all kinds of poverty. Any version of poverty that you can imagine, physical or spiritual, that is of that extreme. In other words, it's not spiritual humility, it's a spiritual destitution that is being addressed here by Jesus. It's, it's those who are living in spiritual failure, not people who have it all together spiritually, but people who actually are spiritually weak is who Jesus is addressing. And so, so that's just an example. You could go through the whole thing like that, but here's the point. What if, here's just a radical thought. What if when Jesus says poor, he just means poor? Or what if when he says those who mourn, who are sad, he means people who are mourning? What if we just take Jesus to mean exactly what he is saying? Now, that raises some really Interesting questions. Blessed are the poor. Now, is Jesus saying that poverty is a good or a bad thing? Is being poor good or bad? Is being poor good or bad? I'm not a gotcha pastor. This is a straightforward one. Is being poor good or bad? It's bad. It's bad. So I, Jesus is not saying being poor is a good thing. He's not looking out across the world and seeing the suffering, suffering of those living in abject poverty and saying, okay, this is a really good thing. Blessed are you who are poor. Same thing with those who mourn. Jesus isn't looking out over the mourning, the grieving, the brokenness of the world and saying that's a good thing. You know, our family just got back from North Carolina where we went um, to say uh, goodbye and to celebrate the life of Langley's grandfather. And so we were part of a family funeral there, and it was beautiful, but it was, it was a time of grieving. It was a time marked by mourning. And some of you are in places where you're grieving right now. You're in a place where you are mourning 
Whether it's the loss of, of a life, someone you loved, or it's the loss of your health, or it's the loss of a marriage, or some other friendship. Some of us are struggling with depression. Some of us are mourning all kinds of things. And Jesus says to those who mourn, he says this, he says, blessed are you who mourn. And again, I don't think he means that the things that cause mourning and grief in your life are good. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Again, this is one of those words, I think, that's been really spiritualized. Uh, so much so that it's hard to really understand what it is that Jesus is saying. A better translation here uh, to the meek would be the powerless. Blessed are the powerless. You know, it's not power under control. That is not the way this word gets used. It is powerlessness. One biblical scholar translates it the little people. Blessed are the little people in the world. Jesus is talking about the oppressed. He's talking about those living in injustice. And again, he's not saying those are good things, but he does say blessed are those. What about the fourth one? Maybe that one's gonna trip us up here in our theory. Blessed, what about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied? Now that sounds like a virtue, and you could read it that way. Um, But notice Jesus doesn't say those who hunger and thirst for God, but those who hunger and thirst for God for righteousness. Now in Matthew, in Matthew's teaching, Jesus teaching in Matthew, the word righteousness is usually understood to be about the relationship, right relationship with God and with one another and with self. And so when we encounter this word righteousness here, I think it helps us to keep that in mind. Those who hunger and thirst, in other words, for righteousness, for right relationships with God, with others and within themselves, are people who don't have those things. They are longing for that. In other words, what they're experiencing in their life is mess, is relational brokenness. Their their story is a story of of broken relationships and poor decisions and all this kind of collateral damage that occurs in those kinds of stories, stories like ours. And Jesus says, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, It's harder to see this in English, but in the Greek, it's really clear. Those first four are kind of set apart from what comes next. So there's kind of two parts here. And the first four that we just talked about, I think um, it's pretty clear. You can make the argument they're not virtues. You could read the next set as kind of being like virtues, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. However... I think you still run into some issues if you try to apply it that way Um, because not even these are all that straightforward. For example, a peacemaker, think about a peacemaker in first century Israel. What is a peacemaker? What is that virtue? What is the value of that in first century Israel? Well, when you're a people that's being oppressed, a people who have watched um, the Romans come in and take over and put their foot on your collective throats, then a peacemaker is actually a collaborator. A peacemaker is a traitor. So even these more clear-cut ones later in the list, I think they're complex. And so here's my point. Jesus, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the grieving. Blessed are the powerless. Blessed are the broken. 
And if we read it right, we ought to feel a little confused right now. We ought to feel a little bit disoriented. And if we don't, I think it's probably because we've over-spiritualized or we psychologized these into virtues, if that makes sense. All right, so it's not a list of commands, not a list of principles, not a list of virtues. So the question is, what is this? <laughs> what is this teaching from Jesus? And I want to say it's at least two things. And the first one is this. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. I love what one Christian writer called this list. He called it gospel concentrate. <laughs> it's like gospel concentrated into these phrases it's pressed in. And you may be going, well, how is that the gospel? How is this uh, list the gospel? Well, it gets at the question, what is the gospel? What is the good news about Jesus Christ? And there's actually a lot of discussion uh, about this question uh, in the church in our day. What actually is the gospel? And many have attempted to define the gospel in different ways. Some have attempted to define the gospel as doing right things in the world. That's really what Jesus' message is and why Jesus came is to help us be better people and do better things and make this world a better place. Then on the other kind of end of the spectrum, what you've got is people who want to define the gospel by right doctrine. It's about believing all the right things. And if you just believe these right doctrines, that is the gospel. So I just want to ask the question, how does Jesus define the gospel? How does Jesus himself, and then also how does the church, the early church, the earliest followers of Jesus, how do they define the gospel? Last week, we got a clue in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus summarized the gospel message. He went about the countryside proclaiming the gospel. And what did he proclaim? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. That's Jesus' summary of the gospel. For the earliest followers of Jesus, for the church, how did they define the gospel? Well, here's a clue. What's the title to the book that we're reading? Matthew, but there's words that come before that. What are they? The gospel according to Matthew. What's after Matthew? The gospel according to Mark. What's after Luke? John, right? So you've got these gospels according to. So in other words, according to that definition of the gospel, what's the gospel? All of it, right? The whole thing, the whole story, the whole account, everything about Jesus' life, everything that he did, everything that he said, everything that he accomplished on the cross, everything that the resurrection means, everything that his ascension means, everything the gift of his spirit means, all of that is the whole package, is the gospel. That's how the church understood it. And so if that's the gospel, that means you get everything when you get the gospel, right? You get all of Jesus, and that's the good news. That's the good news, and Jesus is taking that good news, that gospel message, and he's expanding on it here in Matthew chapter 5. He's expanding on it right here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The good news is that the kingdom of God is coming. And the question is, who's it for? Who is this kingdom, this whole new way of life, all that Jesus has done and all that he brings? Who is it for? And Jesus makes it clear. It's not for the rich. It's for the poor. It's not for the happy. It's for the sad. It's not for those in power, but the meek, the powerless. It's not for those who have it all together spiritually, but those who are broken who hunger and thirst 
for righteousness. These people are blessed, is what Jesus says. See, it's an invitation. Think of it this way. Blessed, it's it's a word of invitation. Congratulations, come into the kingdom. You who are poor, congratulations, because the kingdom is for you if you're mourning. Blessed are you, Jesus says, if you're broken and sorrowful, if you feel like you have failed, if you have been beaten down by the power systems of this world, you are blessed. Are you starving for relationship? Congratulations. The kingdom has come, and it's for you. And so these opening blessings are words of invitation, they're words of grace where, where Jesus is welcoming us in to life with him, life in this kingdom that has come near. And so that's why Jesus says repent. He says turn away from life without him and embrace this new way of life, this kingdom way of life with him. Repent and turn to the kingdom because it's come near and it's for you. Blessed are you. Now Jesus goes on from here throughout the rest of Matthew in these chapters, and he explains what this whole new way of living with him, life with him in his kingdom looks like, how we can take up this way of life. And so he's blessing us, and what that means is he's inviting us. He's, He's telling us the kingdom is for you, and he's inviting us in. So first, it's the gospel, and then the second thing is this. I think in light of that, And in light of our reality, this list is a challenge. It's a challenge to our own list. I was thinking about it this week. If I was going to create a list like this, a list of people in the world who are blessed, what would it look like? Maybe you can think about that. If you were going to create a list of people who are blessed, what would be on the list? Maybe it would be something like you. I'm just going to share with you the list I came up with. Blessed are those who are successful with their careers who have money in the bank, who have minimal or no debt and a retirement plan. Blessed are those in serious dating relationships or who have a happy marriage. Blessed are those with kids who make good choices, who have good friends and make great grades. Blessed are the well-spoken, the cool, the confident, those with lots of friends, a full social calendar, and great Instagram vacation photos. Blessed are the wise, blessed are the faithful, blessed are the just, blessed are those who attend Bible studies and volunteer weekly and give generously. Blessed, blessed, blessed. If I put a list together, it would look something like that. Now, there's nothing wrong with anything on that list. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that list is wrong. I just hold that up because what I want to say is put that list, our list, up next to Jesus' list. Wow. Jesus' list is nothing like what we would have come up with for who's blessed in this world. Nothing like it. I think that's a clue to what Jesus is trying to help us understand. Another preacher I enjoy created uh, an American adaptation of the Beatitudes, kind of adaptation and expansion. And I just want to read that to you real quick um, because I found it really, um, really challenging and somewhat provocative. And so maybe you will too. But this is what he said. He said, blessed are the down and out, the unemployed, the underemployed, 
those being pushed out by gentrification, those without college degrees or health insurance, the spiritually simple, those seem, who seem to have little to offer because they are in the kingdom of God. Blessed are the sad, the depressed, those grieving the loss of a loved one or the end of a marriage, victims of racism, classism, and injustice in our nation because one day God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are the quiet, the shy, the socially awkward, the uncool, the badly dressed, the social media failures. For one day, they will be free from the tyranny of what others think of them and know their true identity in Christ. Blessed are the messed up, those who can't get it together, the alcoholic, the addict, the mentally unstable, the overweight, the orphan, the forgotten child, the physically and sexually abused. For one day, they will be so full of God's life that they won't know where to put it all. Blessed is the little guy, the people who get stomped on and get taken advantage of and who don't fight back with violence or vengeance. For one day, they will get all that mercy back with interest. Blessed are those who want nothing to do with violence in the name of national and political interest, but who know the true source of peace and prosperity isn't weapons or armies in this world and are willing to suffer as peacemakers to bring a new world to bear. One day, everyone will see that their response was the most like God's. Blessed are followers of Jesus in a culture that's hostile to their faith. And the way of Jesus, even though they're made fun of, looked down on as backwards and stupid and regressive behind the times because they, too, will share in the cross-shaped life of Jesus and his kingdom. Now, my, my guess is, as I read that list, there were some things that resonated with you because that's you. You're in one of those lists. Your experience is consistent with one of those lists. There's probably some things in those lists that you want to push back on, that you don't think we should talk about those kinds of things at church. Jesus shouldn't mess with that part of my list. And so I just want to encourage you to wrestle with that. Jesus' words are subversive, <laughs> They are radical. This is a radical manifesto for the kingdom. They ought to challenge us, every one of us, about what we believe and how we live. Because here's the thing. If the gospel only ever affirms what I already think is right and true, then I haven't really heard the gospel. The gospel, by its nature, cuts against the grain of our lives and of our lists. And so if we've heard Jesus right, that'll be true. That'll be our experience. And so this morning, I want you to ask, am I blessed? Am I blessed? We live in a world that says in this life, it's really about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's how you know if you're blessed. It's about the list that you walk around with that says you're blessed. The problem is that we live in a world where life happens. 
We live in a world where the good and the joy and the success is right alongside the failure and the brokenness and the pain and the loss. And Jesus knows that. He knows exactly what you are enduring at this very moment. And he says, blessed are you. Congratulations, because the kingdom is for you. It won't always feel like blessing in this life. But what we experience in part now with Jesus in his kingdom, it is a foretaste of what we will experience when he comes back. When the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in and there is no more pain, there is no more tears, there is no more brokenness, no more poverty, no cause to grieve. And so what we experience now is a preview, but it is real. It is real blessing. Jesus says, blessed are you. And one way to think about that is Jesus is saying, I am with you in this. As you are poor, as you are grieving, as you are struggling in this life, I love you and I am with you. And so today, his blessing is real. His kingdom, his reign, his presence in your life, it is real. And he offers us blessing, you and me and all those who enter into his kingdom way of life by faith in him. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we praise you and give you thanks that you are the God who calls those who are poor and those who are mourning, or those who are um, struggling in the wake of the abuses and the power of this world, those who long for right relationships. Lord, that is us. If we are honest with ourselves, that's who we are. And you call us blessed because you came for us. Your kingdom is for us and you invite us in. And so Lord, I pray this morning, whatever any of us are dealing with, Lord Jesus, that we would encounter you and we would receive your invitation to come into life with you Lord, because you are the God who brings healing and richness beyond our wildest imagination because the wealth that you bring in the person of who you are, God, is more than we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, what you give us in yourself is what we truly long for. And so we thank you for this invitation. Lord, help us this week as we wrestle with these questions of where the gospel confronts our lists. Help us to be honest about that. And Lord, help us to walk in such a way that we acknowledge you as the king of our lives and pray that your kingdom would come in and through your church. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.